Welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. My name is Christy Mayer and I'm joined by my co-host Andy Bannister. We're here live at Creation Fest in the middle of Cornwall and we have a special guest today, Andy Kind. It's great to have, a, great to have you with us, Andy. It's so nice to be with both of you. It is, this isn't is it? This is such a joy. We were just joking around earlier on, so it's amazing that we're actually able to record this now. Yes. Um, now, Andy, we have many questions for you. Many questions. Many questions. Now, who are you? Are you an evangelist? Are you a comedian? What, how do we make sense of those two things? Who are yeah, you? What do you well, do? I, am, I am many things. Um, <laughs> you can be many things simultaneously, can't you? Um, I, am, I started comedy 15 years ago. So I became, a, I became a Christian at the age of 22 and felt led into comedy, which is the simplest way of, of putting that. And um, so I've been doing comedy for 15 years. And the aim was always to be on Live at the Apollo and Mock the Week and things like that. And I did do a lot of gigs for churches and have con- continued to do that. A lot of outreach events and alpha events, and that's been great. But the, the plan was never to expand that into preaching or evangelism. I love doing comedy and still do. And then uh, a few years ago now, um, I felt as though God wanted me to start preaching and I didn't want to do that because for me that that felt like uh at the time it felt like a step down mm-hmm. um part of me felt like I was having to concede defeat um that I wasn't going to be on live at the Apollo and mock the week and I almost was I, you know mm-hmm. I got quite close to those to those things but didn't quite get there and a miss is as good as a mile so um I, I didn't want to do it at first but then you know these things these things weigh on you, don't they? You know, C.S. Lewis's conversion story of how he just felt this sort of presence bearing down on him. And and so sort of paraphrase C.S. Lewis, I am the most reluctant preacher in all of England in some ways. But equally, I've been preaching for three years now um, and doing evangelism alongside it. And it's what I want to do for the rest of my life. So ironically, comedy has been my warm-up act and my support act. Hmm. Um, so I am a... The, the branding I use is, is Promedian, preacher and comedian. But I am I am both a preacher and, and a comedian. And as long as people don't use the phrase Christian comedian, because I think the connotations associated with that, the connotations conjured up when you hear Christian comedian... Hmm. I think they're a bit cheesy, and that's not what I—that's not what I do. I'm massively aggressive on stage, so um, I think um, there's blood, blood all over the stage. Yeah, last yeah. Night it's like Game a... of Thrones whenever I'm <laughs> whenever I'm on stage. But um, yeah, I think preacher and comedian, mm. comedian, just a helpful compound noun. Yeah, mm. thing that intrigues me is: are there you know are there things that you learn in comedy that actually work out as a, as a preacher because in a sense preaching and comedy one thing they have in, in common is, is, you, is communicating you're trying to make people think you're perhaps trying to challenge presumptions um, are there things that you learn from your time on the comedy circuit that you find yourself going that's really interesting some of that applies uh, in, the, in the pulpit when I, you're engaging folks yes I, I think the skill set is the same but the character set mm-hmm. is different so comedy is self-elevating it has to be all about me and it is all about me and I did this gig last night uh, here at Creation Fest and the first thing I said was because there were 300 people in there and it, was a, it wasn't rowdy but it felt a bit fractious when I came on stage because it was late so I, before I did any jokes I told them I'm really good at this I've done this for a long time and it's going to be really good <laughs> I told them I promised them, them that 
um, because I needed to dominate. I needed to grab their attention. I needed to show them that I was in control, that I knew what I was doing. Because before before people want to know that the comedian's funny, they really want to know that they can trust the comedian. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And and wanting to know they're funny comes slight, very quickly after that. Yeah. But it is sequential. It's second in the, in, in hmm. the sequence. Um, and so comedy is self-elevating, but preaching is self-denying. So preaching, being a good preacher is a bit like being a good referee in a sense, in that you want you want the audience to not see that you're there. You want them to hear and receive what it is that God is saying through the preach, um, which is why the phrase celebrity preacher is a, is a, is a, a bit of a dangerous phrase, I think, because actually it, it has to be about the person we're preaching about. So when I'm doing comedy, it has to be about me. It is about me. It's okay for it to be about yeah. me. When I'm preaching, it's not okay for it to to be about me but then you also have to bring in the fact that well the reason you're on stage is because you know how to you know how to preach of Mm -hmm. all the people in that room that you're the person they've chosen to preach Mm -hmm. and preaching it should captivate it should challenge I I think it is okay to use performance it is okay to use comedy when I'm preaching I'm you it's still me and I'm using my skill set but I just have a different end game I have a different Mm -hmm. agenda Mm -hmm. I want people to leave thinking I've never heard the gospel described like that rather than yeah, he was funny. Mm. So there's a massively different end result. Mm. And so how do you actually reconcile that tension within your own character from going from the self-denying to the self-elevating? That's a lovely question. And I, I, I don't think I've mastered it yet. <coughs> I think I, um, I I can get it wrong on occasions. I think I can be a bit too posturing when I'm preaching. Not all the time, but occasionally. Um, I don't think there's times I'm doing comedy where I can be too... Um, <laughs> pastoral or or <laughs> um de-aggrandizing i think i'm i'm always likely to be quite uh cocksure um the the best quote that was ever given uh, by a paper about me was the yorkshire times said uh, andy kind is uh, simultaneously self-deprecating and cocksure simultaneously <laughs> and i think that i think that's um those are the two sides of the, of mm. the character but i think mm. um yeah character wise i think i just have to it's difficult if I've got a Friday night gig and a Sunday morning preach because you know you've still got the adrenaline from the night the night before, um, and then in the morning, um, yeah, you do have to. It has to work its way like caffeine. Mm. Comedy has to work its way out of your system, but um, I think spending time in in prayer and just you know repenting in the sense of changing your mind you know it's a sunday morning okay different mindset what is what is this about just blocking off the time um you know psychologically um i think that's how i'm trying to do it. but again i'm still quite early in my preaching journey i've only been preaching for three years and it is probably in five years time i'll look back and think oh gosh there was a lot that um a lot of creases hadn't been ironed out when mm. i was back at creation fest being interviewed mm. by christy mayer and that other guy. <laughs> that other guy. But you know what the great thing is when this goes out on the on the internet, we can see from the emails we'll get Andy just <laughs> yeah. how you know arrogant he how, sounds. How arrogant yeah. he sounds. So, you know, <laughs> listeners, if you think that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm intrigued. Something you you threw a comment you threw in a, a few minutes ago, Andy, where you said you know you don't like describing yourself as a Christian comedian because I think there's some sort of connotations mm. and things that come with that. I mean, that opens up a a question. I'd love to you know get your your thoughts on for a few minutes, which is. For want of a better word, it sounds a bit sort of poncy, but the whole sort of thing of, the, of Christianity in the arts, mm. right, are going that I think the church sort of has this sort of strange tension, love-hate relationship mm. with, be it comedians or, or people who are actors, writers, yeah. musicians. 
you know, wanting in one sense the the attraction that can bring, yeah. Yeah. but not then knowing how to how to support them and, and, and use that. How have you? How have you sort of found uh, found that journey? Have you found other sort of Christians responding to the stuff you do, or how have you found it a platform, uh, you know, for getting perhaps the gospel into places where perhaps other people wouldn't get? Because comedy opens doors, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Matt, that's. I think there's several questions. Uh, I like there. to ask three, at least yeah. three or four questions <laughs> I think in what one. I, what I'd want Classic. to say there is to delineate between some of the questions it's that you asked. It's a very long there. word for yeah, this time um, of morning. Yes, I know. First of all, Christianity in the arts. Um, yes, they don't seem to go together in you know 2019. Um, Britain do they but uh, the Sistine Chapel is Christianity in the arts Handel's Messiah is Christianity in the arts mm. Handel's Messiah has led more people to the Lord than, yeah. Than, yeah. than most evangelists so um, you know historically we're on fairly good ground I think the problem is these days the church sees um, the arts as an evangelistic luxury by which I mean something that doesn't you see art isn't worried about asking questions and the evangelical world, which I'm in and, and happy to be in, um, and when I say evangelical, I simply mean the people passionate about hearing, mm. giving the gospel, sharing the gospel, having people become Christians, getting saved, um, in inverted commas. Um, art isn't worried about asking questions, and within the evangelical world, we don't like questions as much as we like answers. Mm. You know, the three of us are all engaged in persuasive evangelism. We think there are answers, and good answers, and persuasive answers. Yeah. But also, you've got to ask questions for those answers to be provided. And art is a really good way of asking a question and leaving a question. Um, And uh, so I think think there's that. I think we see the arts as an evangelistic luxury rather than an amazing um, pipeline back to our creator. You know, we are made in the image of a creator. And one of the ways, one of the signposts to that is the fact that we are creative. We are creative because we're created by the creator. So when we're engaging in creativity, we actually are tapping into the source of all creation. Um, and I think you feel most alive when you're m- operating in your biggest creative gifting. I know that I am. When I'm on stage, whether it's preaching or doing comedy, I feel the most alive because that is what I was made for by the creator. I was created to be created by the creator. So, um, yeah, I, I think I think there's that. I think there's the evangelistic luxury i think a lot of the time we want we say that we want creative pioneers within the church but we don't really we want people to guard the picket lines uh, of acceptability and i struggle with that and i rail against that but also i do i do understand it um and and yet yeah the thing is when when you do see people being creative and being in the arts it does really have an, an impact because people are engaging with theme. People like to engage with themes, don't they? In this mm. po- in this post truth society, yeah. um, people are still interested in the in the base. The themes of humanity haven't changed. Like, why do I suffer? Why am I here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Where am I going? You know, destiny and purpose and origin. There's always the same themes, aren't they? So, and the arts is really good at tapping into that. And you know, we say, don't we? Oh, it'd be great to have some, uh, you know, more authentic Christian characters on East End and Coronation Street great but to have authentic Christian characters you have to have authentic Christian screenwriters and where are they supposed to come from yeah. if we're not discipling them within the church where are they supposed to come from so that would be my question you can see you can sense my my hackles going up slightly mm. as I even talk about that um, so that's that was yeah 
an answer in part. I answer in part. I think what's what's interesting that point about how the church produces artists and creatives is fascinating because Christy and I were talking about this uh, creation fest just yesterday afternoon over one of our long brings. Someone's over coffee, won't we? <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but one of the organisations I'm involved with has done a great work in the last few years producing you know sort of uh, scholars and PhDs who are working around the area of mm. Islam, and I've, mm. I came through that program. But I've often looked at that and gone, what would it look like if the church equally found mm. ways to, how do we start pipelining creatives? How do we pick up people mm. who've got creative talent and help them, nurture them, support them? Because it's not easy when you start out. No, it's not, um, but it's right. So my, my new show, Hidden in Plain Sight, it's, um, that's an attempt for me to merge both the, the comedy and also the, the themes that, we, that we've talked about. So in the show, I tell five stories and I say, look, these are all linked to different themes that we recognize from our own lives. Um, and then at the end of the show, I say, look, we've talked about unconditional love. We've talked about you're wired for freedom and purpose. We've talked about how death feels unnatural. We've talked about the power of forgiveness. Um, we've talked about um, un- uh, un- uh, objective morality, some things that are really wrong. What makes the most sense of those things? Mm. Of, of, the, of the big stories out there, the big narratives, the worldviews that are on offer, trying to have a claim on your identity, which of those big stories makes sense of your little story? Because everyone in this room knows what those five things I've talked about mean. Like when I say purpose and hope and joy, you don't just understand the words, you understand the feelings and the sensations attached to the words. But why? What is the best explanation? Not how is there a way that we can explain it other than Christianity, but what's the best explanation of those things? And that's a very, you know, that's a very kind of Christian apologetic way to look at things. But then to try and couch it in a two hour comedy show. Is exciting for me, and uh, you know, I've seen people become Christians through the show. Mm. Um, I've also seen people be annoyed by the show, but I'm not trying to please everybody. Mm. That's that's wonderful. I can't wait to see that in action this evening. It sounds like there's a really strong apologetic kind of apologetical thread that runs through <coughs> your show, but also you're quite involved, aren't you, in like, evangelism in the local community. And what does that look like? What have you been up to recently? Yeah, and again, apologetics and evangelism, the, the, the words that lots of people don't understand, aren't they? And, and kind of bulk against. For me, evangelism is the sharing of the gospel and the gospel is you know, the, the power of God to transform people's mm. lives for good. So evangelism for me is simply going out and telling people that there is a power, an ultimate power that can trans- transform your life for good. So that's what I'm doing when I'm doing evangelism. But yeah, I, I, I work for a church in Chesterfield called Redeemer King Church. And so we do a lot of um, street work, by which I mean we, we go out on the streets and we will um, offer to pray for people. We'll try and get words of knowledge for people. Um, so I'm a bit weird in the sense that I really like apologetics and I really like, um, you know, uh, the philosophy side of things. But I also really like the charismatic side. I love praying for healing. Um, we've seen some. We've seen some people like dramatically healed. Mm. Some rather than lots. But mm. we, you know, yeah. we. If you pray for a hundred people and three get healed, well, that's three sermons, isn't it? Probably the same sermon for three years as well. Uh, but um, yeah, so we, we we go out and we just try and give <coughs> people some good news. And when people say, oh, "I don't know how to do it," say, "Look, just tell them some anything true about Jesus that supersedes and builds on what someone currently believes." about themselves, their lives, or the world that they live in. Mm. That's sharing the gospel. That's good news. You don't have to give them 
a three-point gospel presentation. You're just trying to replace a lie with some of the truth. Mm. You can't give them all truth, but you can give them more truth. Can't Hello. you, Christy? You give them more truth. <laughs> Someone should write a book without <laughs> No, I don't think so, no. But I think we just leave it. But so, I, yeah, so I just, yeah. I just it, it's that, you know, you, people believe lots of lies because you can believe yeah. lots of things simultaneously and there's lots of truth on offer. So let's do a little trade. Yeah. I like that. I mean, one of the things I love about, you know, hanging out on your kind of Facebook feed, you know, from time to time, apart from the inane kind of jokes, which yeah. I'm naturally drawn to. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's some great stories uh, there that you share of the way that God's used you. But, it, you know, for someone perhaps listening to this who's who's sitting there thinking at home, going, well, it's all right for you, Andy. You're clearly a motor yeah. That's, you know, it's, mm. there's a fit here. You're a comedian. Mm. You're a preacher. So you're someone who's confident with your words. Mm. They're sitting there thinking, I just, I, that's just not, that's just not me. Sort of these dramatic stories don't happen to me. Things mm. don't happen when I... When I've tried to share my faith, you know, I've tried a couple of times, hasn't hasn't worked out. Has it always been the case that you've been a kind of natural evangelist that things just happen, or no. has it actually been a real process of of, a, of, of learning to get a there? huge process? And it, within the next couple of minutes, I'll try and condense all of that. So, uh, in t- just when I became a Christian in two thousand and three, <coughs> I was sitting with my mum, and I wanted to hear a word from God. And uh, my mum said, "Right, I think you're going to hear a word from God tonight." And I listened, and I listened, and I listened, and I heard nothing. My mum had prophesied I would hear a word from God, and I heard nothing. Um, a decade later, I was in South Africa, and I'd prayed before this, this gig I was doing. It was about 300 people in there, and I'd written down some things I'd been praying. And I said at the end, if anyone's lost a child, I'd love to pray with you. And this lady came up, and she said, um, my name's Josephine, and I've lost a child. I've got a son, and I've lost him to drugs. We don't know where he is. Mm. And I said, can I just show you what I've written down in my pad when I was praying beforehand? Mm. And I'd written down, a black lady named Josephine has lost a child, and God will give her back a son. Mm. The 10 years between hearing nothing and feeling so frustrated mm. to giving, to having a word of knowledge so dramatic, so explicit, so, like, precise. precise. Yeah, um and in between that, there's, there's been a time when I was on a train and this guy sat down next to me, a guy in his early 20s. I said, okay, God, what have you got for him? And I heard God say, and this is one of the things, when people say, I heard God say, what do we mean? We don't mean there's a voice in the clouds. What I mean when I say I heard God say is simply a thought dropped into my head that corresponded with a feeling in my heart that I should say something. Mm. It's the same voice that says, you've got to pick up your daughter from nursery four hours late. It's the, <laughs> same, it's the same, it's my voice, but God's spirit, you know, draw a line around the human spirit. You can't do it. So it's God's spirit merging with our spirit. We don't know how those things work, but we just trust that it does. So this guy sits down uh, and God said, I heard God say, I felt God say, uh, his name's Martin, just tell him I love him. And I started laughing because he's, Mar- he's not called Martin. He's in his early 20s. No one's called Martin. Um, so I didn't say anything. And he got out of his bank card later on, and he was called Martin. And that's a that's a story of how awesome God is. But I said nothing. I didn't say anything. And by that point, I'd ruined it. You can't say, oh, excuse me, is your name Martin? <gasps> how did you know that, Darren Brown? So um, I, I would say, first of all, that I am still naturally a coward. Like I am always terrified before I share the gospel with anybody. Mm. Always terrified. But um, and I've got words of knowledge wrong. Most people I pray for don't get healed. And yet, when Jesus sends out the seventy-two in Luke chapter ten, and they come back with great joy, and they say, "Lord, even the demons obey us in your name." And Jesus, Jesus is something really interesting. He says, "Like almost that's not the point." He says, don't rejoice that the spirits obey you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And that's the key to evangelism. 
It's your identity. You are secure in Christ. That is where your identity is. Before anybody else says anything about you, he spoke first, he'll have the last say, and he's the only one who speaks with true authority. So, and again, in Ezekiel Ezekiel 2, I'm sending you to the house of Israel, and whether they listen or refuse to listen, they'll know they've had a prophet amongst them. God doesn't say, I'm sending you, and they're definitely going to listen because everyone loves me. Whether they listen or refuse to listen, they'll know they've had a prophet amongst them. And so that's, that's the key. That's the key. It's not about how people respond. It's not a performance game. It, evangelism is not a skill. It's not a talent. People are more gifted than others, but it's not a skill. If you give God the availability, he'll give you the ability. And he's not bothered about your ability. He just wants your availability. You get rid of the fear. And everyone's terrified. Final thing I'll say. Everyone's terrified. Everyone's terrified of sharing the gospel. Everyone's terrified of sharing the gospel. So what? You've got to go through the pain. You've got to go through the fear. And... and the, the, main, the main thing I say, the first thing I say, the key to evangelism is this. You are not a coward, so don't act like it. Mm. Mm. Wonderful words. Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a privilege. Great, great having you. And uh, sorry, Live we apologise for the background fest, noise. Yeah. Live very much <laughs> all happening. At Creation Fest. So, uh, so yeah, and uh, all the best for tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you.